Morning, church. We're the Rab Smiths. Uh, I like how Walt says it, the Rob Smiths. Um, <laughs> that's nice. That's good. Uh, we are the Rab Smiths, Matthew and Joanna. We are uh, part of the team here at Coastline. It's so excited just to be with you this morning and to share a little bit about our life, the work that we do, and just the hope that we have in Christ. Um, we got to introduce ourselves a little bit to the church last fall. We got to share our story. Um, we got to talk a little bit about our marriage experience. Uh, some of the things uh, that happened in our marriage that really um, <clears throat> ripped apart, it seems, some of the fabric of, of our safety and our foundation and how God put that back together. Um, last time, you may remember that Joanna was uh, quite pregnant. Um, <laughs> she is not pregnant anymore, um, and that is because we have beautiful little Avery. Uh, she is three months. She's in the back, so if you hear screams, um, she's, somebody's watching her. Don't worry. Um, but we're very lucky to have our third and final, right? Final? Yeah. Absolutely. Final child. Um, very blessed. We were, we were praying to God. No more blessings. Um, so... Pastor Aaron calls us the relationship professionals, his experts. Uh, that's, we like that. That's fun. Um, it's a little daunting, we think, because when you're a relational expert, you don't get to go in public and mess up very much. Um, I'm always a little conscious that people know who we are from our speaking and from our work with couples. So when we're in a restaurant and we're fighting over which side of the table the high chair goes on um, and who's going to eat what and why that child has stuck something up their nose... Um, <laughs> We can get a little embarrassing. We think we, we should be better at this, in public at least, uh, than we are. We're not immune at church either. If you were here a few uh, Saturday mornings ago after prayer, you would have seen Matthew get in his usual hurry, run out the door and forget to hold the door open for, for me and Avery. So it slammed back on our face and I let him know we didn't really appreciate that by yelling quite loudly across the courtyard. I took that really well. I did. Um, and I took it well by, by pouting all the way to the Children's Center. And if this is your first time on campus, that's a long pout. Like, it's a good long, like, time enough like to know that I was pouting and still choosing to continue to pout. I mean, stomping that ground, just being like, you don't understand what you've done to me. So, yeah, so we're always, uh, we're always aware that even in the best relationships, in our relationship, we find times to just fall apart. And, and, and the truth is, is that strong relationships aren't based on their ability to avoid chaos, to avoid conflict, to avoid pain. Their strong relationships are built on how they deal with pain. You know, when, when we think about healing, healing isn't about stopping the problem, isn't, isn't about avoiding hurt, it's, it's about repair. It's about putting back what's been broken. And so today when we talk, we want to talk about what repair work looks like, what it looks like in relationships both with God and with other people. As we said, there really is no escaping the damage of broken relationships. Many of us have have come from, from good homes, some of us have come from tough homes, but whatever our experience is, somewhere along the line, we have been a part of a broken relationship. We have been a part of an experience that wasn't quite right and left some type of hurt. And the scriptures tell us this, the scriptures say all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this is going to include relationships. Every relationship has, has, has been broken and has fallen short of the glory of God. They're not all what they're supposed to be. And so, you know, there's really different ways that we experience hurt. Um, obviously, they're all very damaging, but it can also be helpful to kind of talk about those different ways. And so we experience hurt through infringement and abandonment. Now, infringement 
Those are the things that are done to us, right? They, they violate our sense of safety, who we are. Those are things like sexual abuse, physical abuse, rape, assault, betrayal, even words that tear us down, right? Demeaning nicknames, things like that. And then we're also hurt by what we're denied. And so this is when there is a lack of something we need in relationship. This comes from relationships where someone may give us the, we call it the silent treatment, right? Where, where they don't connect with us. They, they may neglect us. Um, substance abuse would be an example of this. A chaotic household. When there's lack of support, there's rejection. And this isn't always intentional. It's really important to understand, you know, sometimes we are hurt by the reality of life. If you grow up in a family and you have a parent with a chronic illness, they may want to be there supporting you and loving you, but they, there may be limitations to that. And, you know, another way to think about how we're hurt is through um, what we call trauma, right? Thinking about, okay, a lot of times when we think about trauma, we think about big T trauma. These are one-off events that, that kind of come in and they devastate us. They have a severe impact. Um, a way to think about this is like the, the impact that a hurricane has, right? In a single moment, it can level the ground. There, there's nothing that resembles what it did before. And we can rebuild, but it never looks quite the same. But another type of trauma we experience is called little t trauma. And this isn't those kind of huge events. This is, these are the little things, the little hurts that continue time after time, right? This is frequency. And they slowly begin to erode our sense of self, right? Much in the way that a river erodes and changes the landscape drastically forever. And so, there, you know, one isn't worse than the other. We know that any type of trauma causes deep pain that affects us greatly. And they both redefine the landscape. You know, what happens is, is, is when we're hurt, the hurts that we experience go about destroying, kind of changing our sense of identity and safety. Whether that's a one-time event that really changes the direction of our life or, or these little events over and over and over that keep kind of reinforcing this belief, it, it destroys our sense of identity and safety that God gives us. You know, what, what happens is, is that when we grow up, and there's a sense that people are there to take care of us. And when the people who are supposed to accept us are either unable to or choose not to, the pain is so severe that it reshapes our understanding of who we are. Now, I want you to take a look at this picture, and I want you to raise your hand. Tell me if you see a, uh, a, a candlestick. Raise your hand if you see a candlestick couple people. Good. Raise your hand if you see two faces. Okay. Raise your hand if you don't see anything. You're still asleep because it's 730. All right. Good. Good. Most of you. So this is a gestalt picture. We love these pictures. Uh, so this is an interesting image. And the, what's cool about this image is there are two images in one. What's interesting about what happens with our brain is that our brain is actually only able to see one image at a time. If you notice, if you focus on the faces, you lose the candlestick. If you focus on the candlestick, you lose the faces. You know they're both there in a sense, but our brain has to choose one or the other. Well, this is what happens with pain. God has given us our identity. We, we are told who we are in Christ, and yet our experiences change that. They shift our focus to something different. And when we're focused on that, it's impossible for us to see the other. Once we see one thing, we're stuck on that. 
We see that every time. So every time the picture comes up, every time the experience comes up, that's what we see. We turn away from God's definition of who we are when we're hurt. And we take on something different. We start to create lies about ourselves. We start to say things about ourselves. We start to create a definition of who we are. We begin to define ourselves. And that definition is always created by our experiences. And so we talk about ourselves in ways of being not enough or too much, inadequate, worthless, unacceptable. This is who we say we are after we've been hurt. And you know, none of us likes to, to stay in our hurt, right? It doesn't feel good. And so what we oftentimes try to do is we try to heal ourselves. And, and we do this in a lot of different ways. And we call these ways, we call them coping behaviors, right? So if we grew up thinking that, that we weren't enough, that we were defective and adequate in some way, then, then our coping might be performance. If I can be good enough, right? If I can get the, the good grades, if I can get the right job, if I can win that award, if I can prove myself in some way, then maybe I'll finally heal that pain. Or we might do it by blaming others, right? It, it's too much to carry on ourselves, and so we point the finger. tries to, to give us a sense of control over that pain. Or we might just numb it out, right? We, we might try to not feel that pain by, by maybe it's denying that that pain was there ever. Maybe it's by numbing it. Maybe it's by withdrawing into an addiction to try and heal and cope with that pain. Now, what we know is that none of those things work, right? None of those things actually heal the pain in us. And what can actually happen is that what our brain does is it becomes hypervigilant to anything in our horizon that looks like pain, right? We call this the prairie dog syndrome, where you're always scanning, mm -hmm. right? Always looking for anything that, that kind of feels like unsafe to you. And this can create a lot of misunderstandings in relationships, sometimes are somewhat comical. We had one recently this week. We had a tiny little leak in our kitchen, which ended up with the whole thing being torn apart. We had three giant dehumidifiers, five commercial fans blowing nonstop for three days. By the end of the three days, we found ourselves sitting down at dinner, angry at each other. We couldn't figure out why at first until we realized that we both had to yell so loudly to be heard over the fans, we started misinterpreting the other person as angry. <laughs> and there, there was really nothing to be angry about at all. You know, have you ever find yourself in one of those situations where you're like, I don't know why I'm yelling, you know, or I'm not upset. That's my favorite. Like when I yell, I'm not upset. That's always that good indication that something's off. You know, we had been, we had been yelling at each other to pass the salt and, and, and that just began to kind of etch away at our sense of who we are. And that made us think this person doesn't want me right now. You know, the, the scriptures tell us how, how wasteful, how, how just kind of fruitless this kind of pursuit is. And James, he says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth because this wisdom, it doesn't come from heaven. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and evil practice. When we try to, when we try to fix how we feel ourselves, all we create is disorder. All we create is just more evil. Over the last few months, I have been working to come to terms with a, with a part of my past that I haven't really thought about before, a part of my past that I have avoided in a lot of ways. Um, and a part of that past is, is that when I grew up, 
Um, in, in kindergarten, I was uh, the second largest kid in the class. Um, in second grade, I was the second smallest. Everyone grew, and I didn't. And, and from that point on, I was the smallest kid in class. And, and at first, it didn't seem like a big deal, uh, but over time, I began to realize that that put me at risk, and it put me at risk from, from being bullied. Now, I, I will be honest, in, in the 80s, like, bullying wasn't something people talked about. There, there wasn't public service announcements about it. People weren't, there weren't presidential focus groups on it. It, it just was what it was. You got bullied. Um, and, and, I, and, it, and for a lot of ways and a lot of reasons and a lot of years, I, I don't think I thought much about it. I just thought this is just the way it was. But as I began to, to think about my history and to see the effect that bullying had on my identity, but also on my life, how I would map out certain routes around the campus that took twice as long so I would avoid certain hallways, so I would avoid blind corners, so I would avoid places that I couldn't be trapped. As I began to, to, to become humorous and perform, to be funny so that you wouldn't get punched, you know, I, would, I, I put on all these things to try to fix this issue of being bullied, not realizing that the, that the terror of wondering when the next beating would come was deeply affecting who I was. And these ways that I tried to fix it myself just became ways that I would try to fix everything. I would perform, I would avoid. These became addictions like pornography, things that I found myself unable to stop. And this coping behavior, instead of bringing order and peace to my life, brought disorder, chaos, and almost destroyed our marriage. I often felt so alone in my pain like no one would understand or get me. One of the things that turned my life around was to learn that my pain isn't disconnected from my God, that my pain isn't disconnected from my faith journey. Because what is true is that while we have experienced deep pain, God has experienced the worst of our pain with us. God has been there for every moment where we have been hurt. God has, has cried over us seeing the pain that we're in, and God has seen that pain himself. God in the scriptures tells us that he is forgotten by Israel. He chooses a people and says, you're mine. And they kind of say, no thanks. No, only when it's convenient. Jesus comes to earth, God in the flesh, walks around, disciples people, does miracles, only to have his closest companions betray and deny and leave him in his darkest hour. God understands our pain. We are not alone in it. We are never alone in it. And the beauty is that it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with our pain, right? That's not the end of the story. The truth is that God answers our cry for help. There's a pattern throughout Scripture of God's people crying out for help in him answering them, him delivering them. Psalm 86 says, Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. I'm a really big believer that we all have superpowers. Um, we just don't quite know it yet, you know? Um, my superpower, and you get them at different points in your life. I developed a superpower when we had our first child. 
And it is the ability to wake up at the lightest noise, like the, the faintest cry from the farthest point from one of our children. In the middle of the night, in two seconds, I am awake, the car is started, the bags are packed, I'm ready to go. Like I am on point at two in the morning. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm super incoherent, but I am ready. That, that child cries and I am out of the bed first thing. It's true. One time I was nursing Avery and she cried and he jumped out of bed, raced across the room and looked in the empty cradle, searching for the baby frantically. Like calling 911, <laughs> like someone has taken our baby. Pretty and sure if there like... was a stuffed animal there, he would have picked it up and started patting it. Yeah, very much. Very much. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this, this cry, this answer, you know, God is so responsive to us. He is just aching to respond to our pain aching to fill that void when we cry out to him. You know, this, the deliverance, the salvation that he brings, it's from the Greek word sozo, which means to make whole. It's this, this idea of wellness, wholeness, health, a restoration to a sense of safety. And, and this healing, this healing that he wants to bring us, it begins at the cross, right? It's the work that he did on the cross that makes us whole. Isaiah 53, one of my favorite verses, says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And we already talked about how we can't bring about healing through our own works. It looks like coping, right? We can't perform better. We can't build strong enough walls to keep the pain out. Those things may protect us for a season, but ultimately they will not heal the pain. So then what does Christ's work do, right? What does that work on the cross actually do for us? It doesn't just save us from something. It saves us into something. It saves us into restored and reconciled relationship with God and with others. Yeah, this idea that our salvation isn't just away from something but into something is so key because this healing, while it begins at the cross, while the work is done at the cross, this healing is, trans is, is transformed and moves forward and continues into relationship. You know, God has done the work on the cross, and we continue that healing in relationship with God and with others. We always start with God, because that's where the power is. That's where the healing is. God says, this is where it begins. But then it becomes evident, it becomes fruitful in our relationships with others. Ephesians 2.14, for he himself, Christ himself, is our peace. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You know, we, we meet with a lot of couples, we see a lot of situations, and, and over and over, um, we, will, we will work with couples and we will we'll talk to them about new behaviors, about these transform, this transformed living. But one of the things that we tell them is that all of that is useless if you do not believe what God believes about you. If you, if you, if you want to be kind, if you want to be loving, if you want to care for people, you can't do it if you don't believe that God cares and loves and cherishes you. You will try and you will fail. And so knowing that getting ourselves in right understanding with God is what makes it possible to build right relationships with other people. We're never saved into isolation. We are always saved into community. 
We are always saved into the church. We are always saved into a, a, a bond with other people. That is what God's vision is, this vision of right relationship with him and with each other. So God's vision for healing relationship, right, is that they are loving and trustworthy. We actually want to flesh that out a little bit with you today because I think we talk a lot in culture about, you know, what do we want in a relationship? We want to be loved. We want to be able to trust. We talk about these big terms. But what does that actually mean, and, and why is that something that we crave? Um, so the first thing, right, a loving relationship is one where we are accepted. We're seen fully, and we are accepted. We are welcomed. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another then as Christ accepted you. Christ's life was full of acceptance. That's who he was. He was constantly spending time with the outcasts of society, you know, those who were unacceptable, the poor, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, children, lepers, right? But it didn't stop there. You know, God accepts us into his family. 1 John 3.1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is who we are. And I hope you don't miss that. In our culture right now... I, I think rightly, there is this, there's this move, there's this desire to, to reinforce, to talk about the humanity of all people, the, the, the value of all people, that all people should have rights, that all should, people should have opportunity, that all people should be protected. And that is great. But what an incredible vision that God says, that, that's the start, not the finish. The vision that God says is that we aren't all human, that we are all his children. We are family. Not just one of a million of people that look like us, but we are kin. We are blood relatives in God. That's what being accepted is. is you're not just human, but you are my child, God says. The next aspect you know, of loving relationship is that we are valued. We are created in the image of God. Psalm 139 says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We see this type of love and the love that's expressed between a parent and their new child, right? As they gaze with tenderness and amazement at that new life that has been created. We also see this type of love, this value in love, between husband and wife. You know, there's this tradition of the first look at a wedding ceremony. There, there's something special in, in the gaze between lovers. And as you look at the beloved, everything else kind of fades away. Right? This is the same love that the New Testament writers use to describe Christ's love for the church, for us. Right? The church is Christ's bride. He is the bridegroom. There's something really special and unique in this love that ensures fidelity. It ensures care for the other. This valuing love, it, it heals pains of insignificant and defective. It teaches us that we are precious, we are unique. The next type of love is validated, right? God hears and understands our pain. You know, Matthew shared earlier, we know that God has experienced the worst of our pain. But not only does he know it and understands it, he creates space for us to actually share our story of pain. In scripture, we, you know, we love to read the Psalms. It's full of, of praise songs to God, but it's also full of laments to God. And I think it's really important that, that we remember that part of our scripture, that there is space. God makes space 
for his people to cry out, and he listens to that pain. He validates that pain. Even as he knows that he can heal it, he creates space for it. And I think, you know, validation teaches us that we are worthy. Our story is worthy. And, and all of us, not just the parts that look pretty or sound nice or don't make other people uncomfortable, right? It, it heals these pains of unworthy and inadequate. So many people report that the first step in their healing journey is actually having their story validated. And as a therapist, that is a space, a sacred space that I get to hold for so many people. You know, I, I have hurt people come into my office all the time and so many of them say, this is the first time I've told anyone this, right? For fear that it would be minimized, for fear that I would be shamed or blamed, right? And so, so that space can be so healing in relationship. So God's love helps us to feel accepted, to, see, to feel valued, and to feel validated. Doesn't that just feel good thinking about that? I think about that first cup of coffee on a cold morning and that warmth just kind of flowing through your body. That's what I think about when I think about God's full love. Many of us have experienced maybe a part of this. We, we, we've had this at different times. Maybe we've had all three for a moment or we've, had a, we've, had, we've felt validated or we felt accepted from certain people. But what's amazing is that God says is that vision is small. My vision for my love is so much bigger that you are going to feel all three of these because that's what I provide constantly. You can trust in that. Healing our identity means opening ourselves up to be loved by God in ways that we've never known before. A lot of times God's love can feel weird because we're not used to it. It's not a muscle we're used to flexing, receiving that kind of affection, that kind of love. It's not something that many of us believe is even possible. And so we just turn away from it thinking, I'll, I'll just settle for something less when God says, no, no, don't settle because I have so much more. The next aspect of a healing relationship is that it is one that is trustworthy. One of the keys to a trustworthy relationship is reliability, right? God, he is the most reliable person, right? He is unchanging. He is steadfast. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this reliability is so important in creating a safe relationship. One way to think about it is reliability is kind of like this bridge that takes you over these kind of troubled waters in relationship. And, you know, imagine you're, you're standing at the foot of this bridge and getting ready to cross, right? And your guide says, it's about 60, 70% reliable, you know. You should be good, though. It's fine. Are you going to walk across that bridge? <laughs> right? And if you do, what's that going to look like? You're going to be holding on to those sides for dear life, tentatively taking every step, right? Your heart's going to be pounding. Your palms are going to be sweating. But so often in relationship, we think, I'm doing pretty good. I don't know, you know, I don't know why he's having such a hard time. I'm like 70% reliable. Why, why is he anxious all the time? I don't get it. Why won't he trust me, right? It's because, no, we want 100% reliability in this bridge to cross it, right? And that's what we should be in relationship. If we are going to be trustworthy in relationship, we have to be reliable. And when we are, it instills confidence. It creates a sense of security, and it can heal feelings of unsafe and insecure. 
trustworthy relationships are also balanced. Um, I'm really sad that a lot of the playground toys that I knew as a child are no longer available. Um, one of my favorites was a seesaw. Uh, interesting side note, seesaw and teeter-totter are used in different parts of the country. So wherever you are, it's a seesaw or teeter-totter. It was a seesaw in the South, so that's the way God wanted it. Um, but I love the seesaw. You know, you had one person coming up and one person going down. And all was good as long as you worked together and there was balance. The seesaw was not fun when there was not balance. You know, and relationships work that way. When, when there are balance, when there is a balance of give and take, when we are both investing in the relationship, when we're both putting something in, when we're both a part of it, it feels good. But when one person starts to pull away, we start to feel odd, off, wrong. Now, what's really interesting is even in our relationship with God that there is balance, not in terms of what we both give, but in terms of a give and take. Our, our work with God is a relationship. God gives salvation, and we respond to that salvation with thanksgiving, with praise. We give our cares to God, and God answers our cry. It's this back and forth dance that we do. Balance in a relationship creates a sense of fairness and justice. It heals these feelings of life is unfair or I am powerless. Finally, trustworthy relationships are honest. Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. God tells us the truth even when it's difficult to hear. Honest relationships are ones in which we speak the truth because we know the truth is what's going to set us free. It's the secrets that keep us in bondage, that keep us broken. Truth and honesty is, is what helps us know that we are connected, that we are safe, and that we are hopeful it heals these feelings of discouraged and vulnerable. I love Psalm 86, how it says, But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and trustworthiness. This is the, God, this is the, the vision of love. This is the vision of relationships that God has given us, loving and trustworthy. When we experience loving and trustworthy relationships with gods and others, these pains, these identities that we've taken on about ourselves, they are healed, and we begin to experience and live in God's truth. We see ourselves as worthy, as cherished, as secure, as not alone when we listen to what God has to say about the way he loves us. And the story doesn't end there either, right? We're hurt in relationships, we're healed in relationships, and we're also called to be healers. We're called to go forward and to create spaces for healing to happen, just like spaces were created for us. You know, we were reconciled to God through Christ, and he called us into that ministry of reconciliation. And we learn how to do that through our own healing, right? Our healing journey becomes our training. And this is great. This is great news. We've been through it. We've walked down the path, so now we know how to start creating that space for others. You know, we don't create space for others by refusing to acknowledge the pain, by trying to push it out of the church. We don't heal the pain by quick fixing it or throwing scripture at it. We actually have a term for this. We call it the Jesus juke. Uh, so the Jesus juke happens. You may have experienced this. If you tell a Christian something that's tough, like that you're going through a hard thing, and they're just like, oh, Lord's got it. 
you know, or they'll throw like a little mini verse at you and you're just like, oh, that didn't feel like that warm cup of coffee. That, that <laughs> kind of felt like a stiff arm, you know, and it doesn't mean that anything that, that, that when Christians say that, that it's untrue, but, but what it communicates to someone is, is that I'm, I'm not comfortable handing, handling your pain. Your, your pain makes me, makes me worry and I, I can't do that. So I'm going to keep you at a distance with this little, this little, this little statement, this little verse, this little quote. But healing spaces, creating those healing spaces, it really is just showing up in relationship in the ways that we talked about, showing up as loving, showing up as trustworthy, right? Accepting and valuing others, validating their pain, being reliable, open, and honest. We're so excited about the kickoff of this youth service, DNA. We're, we're, what we're really excited about is Jake and the, and the team that he has put together. Their vision is to create safe space. They want a place for students to come and to feel accepted, to feel valued, that they matter, that they are unique. I, I, I really encourage you to pray today for the service tonight, that when students walk in, that they feel the love of God the moment they hit that door, and, they, and, they, and it goes with them throughout the week. Because this church is dedicated to saying, you know, space for healing isn't just for some, it is for all, no matter where you are on that journey. And I know there's going to be a lot of kids who are going to bring in pain through these doors, and we want them to walk out with healing. And we believe that, that there's an amazing team in place to do that, and to really, really love on these kids. You know, <clears throat> we are healed, and, and that healing really becomes a part of our training. One, to create space for healing to happen but also to be a healer where we have caused destruction. When I had to face the reality of, of what my addiction had done to our marriage, it wrecked me. And I just wanted to fix it. I just wanted it, I wanted it to, to change, to be different. And, and I didn't know how. And some very wise people sat me down and said, Matthew, if you're going to do anything to change your marriage, then you have to change where you are with God. You're going to have to start believing what God believes about yourself. Because you can't get any work done if you're constantly trying to prove to God that you're acceptable. You can't heal anything in your marriage if you're constantly trying to prove that you're good. You have to believe it. You have to let God work in you so that you can work in this marriage. And you've got to get people around you because if you do this alone, you are going to have the hardest time in the world and so part of my journey in our marriage was to, one, to turn to God and to say, God, show me what you see when you see me, and let me see that. Let me believe that. Let me have that in my heart. And God put men in my life that I can trust, that I'm not worried about them hurting me the way I've been hurt before. And God did that, and God does it for me over and over and over. And because of the work that God has done both in healing me and creating community for me, it's allowed me to show up as healer in my marriage. It's, it's God's work that allows me to, to be honest with Joanna, even when it's going to hurt me, when it's going to not be good for me, because it's going to be something that I've done wrong, or something that I shouldn't have done, or I could have stopped. It's God's work that has allowed me to be, to be patient with her as she shares her pain, how she shares what I have done, how it's changed things. 
It's God's healing in me that allows me to stay present with my family instead of run into addiction, like I always thought was the only choice I had. There are a lot of changes in our relationship that helped me heal as well. You know, Matthew was honest about his past and his present with me, and we call this day, it was our, the full disclosure day, where he laid it all out, everything that he had hidden, he, he brought into the open. And in a lot of ways, that day felt like a lot of steps back. It was not a fun day. There was a lot of pain there. But it also felt like the first time we had any kind of a firm foundation to build a relationship on, right? It was the first time we had that honesty truly present that was required for building trust. We also both became more reliable in the ways that we responded to each other, right? Responding in, in healthy ways consistently rather than those destructive patterns that we had brought into the marriage. Matthew also created space to validate my pain. And this looked like not, not rushing me to forgive him too quickly, not, not pushing me to heal faster than I was ready. And the hard and consistent work that he has put into his recovery, into his sobriety, helps me feel valued, helps me feel safe in relationship. And I was blessed to find this healing in the, the same relationship where the hurt occurred. That isn't always possible, right? Sometimes we're in relationship with someone who is abusive and they refuse to become safe. They refuse to find their own healing. Sometimes it's a relationship with someone who's maybe left us, they've abandoned us, or maybe they passed away. But God doesn't let that reality keep you from receiving that healing, right? You can still experience deep and powerful healing in relationship with God and safe others. We want to close with this thought. You know, wherever you come in today, wherever you are on that journey, you should know that every single day God wakes up with you and he does three things. God continually is freeing us from our past. He understands our pain. He has seen our sin and our brokenness, and he has dealt with it all on the cross. There is nothing left for God to deal with because it's all been handled. It's all been made right. And healing begins when we, when we commit ourselves to stop numbing the hurt and we start naming the pain. We always say, if you want to heal it, then you got to feel it. Quit avoiding it. Quit pretending it's not there. Say that it is there so that God can do something about it. And the next thing we want you to remember is that protecting us, God is protecting us in our present, right? This isn't a linear journey. It's not, okay, we were hurt, now we're healed, now we'll never be hurt again, right? We will continue to experience painful things in relationship. And so staying in safe and loving community protects us from those things. Proverbs says, two are better than one, a strand of three cords is not easily broken. You know, relationships can protect us from these experiences of, of new pain. And there's a really neat research study that actually proves this. It shows this. It measured the anxiety and pain level in women who are receiving a, a light electrical shock on the ankle. And what brain imaging actually showed, it, in the, it showed decreased levels of anxiety and pain when those women reached out and held the hand of a loved one, right? And what was really interesting was the level of decrease in that anxiety and the pain was directly related 
to the closeness that couple reported in the relationship. It's so amazing that the emotional, the physical connection of a healthy relationship actually has the power to protect us from experiences of pain. You know, I love when scientific research shows what God has known all along, right? That's why God is calling us into community with, with himself and with others. And, and this is why, you know, we, we encourage everyone here to be in small groups because we really believe this is an ongoing experience of God's healing presence in our life. You know, it, it matters who we are journeying this life with. We need people to speak into our lives. We need safe spaces to heal. And we are creating communities here at Coastline through these small groups. So God is freeing us from our past, protecting us, from our, in, protecting us in our present, and he's calling us into our future. We, many of us never feel ready to serve. We never feel equipped and talented, and, and we're, we never feel ready to, to lead. When we walked with another couple through the journey of recovery, I can remember just praying the whole time, please, 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 don't ask us how many times we've done this, because the answer is going to be zero, and they're going to look at us, and they're going to be so scared. And, you know, but what was true is even though we didn't feel ready in that moment, God knew that we were ready. God was ready to use our healing to help others heal. You don't have to be a relational expert, because you are an expert in your experience. You are an expert in what God has done in your life. That makes you ready to heal others. When you have experienced God's transforming work, you are ready to help others walk that journey. And we want to call our church into a place that says, we are constantly looking for people to come alive helping others. Our vision is for people to make a difference, not just in their families, but in as many families, and in many relationships, in as many places as they can. And God is calling us into that future every day by continually healing and transforming us. We pray and hope that you find healing today. We pray that you commit yourself to community. We pray that you help others transform the way God has transformed you. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have given us the healing that many of us knew we wanted, but we didn't know it was possible. God, thank you for the work that you have done on the cross, the way that you have completed the work for us without us having to do anything. God, thank you for, for letting us be a part of this journey with you and with others. And God, we don't know why you took our pains, you took our sin, you took our brokenness on the cross, and you endured it yourself. We don't know why, God, but we know that you did. And we know that every day when we think about it, God, it demonstrates your deep, deep love for us. Thank you, God, for continuing to be the healer in our lives. Use us, God, to be your hands and feet of healing in this world. Amen. So <clears throat> we were living in L.A. when we first moved here, and we decided we wanted to go for a hike. We we're going to go uh, somewhere in the mountains, and we decided to get up early and unfortunately, instead of getting out the door quickly, we got into a little bit of an argument, um, just one that we've ever had in our life, but we got a little bit of argument, and instead of leaving at 7 o'clock in the morning when it was 80 degrees, we left at 11.30 when it was 105. 
And we got to um, we got to the to the the hike where we wanted to go to, and we hiked up this this mountain, and it was miserable. It was awful. It was hot. We didn't bring enough water. Our dog hated every step of the way. We took one picture, and we couldn't wait to get back down. We got to the bottom of this mountain. And, and there was this horse trough where, where the horses come and they get water from it. And our dog was just miserable. He just looked at us like, can I please have some water? And so we let our daughter, dog climb up and he was lapping up just a little bit of this water. And Joanna and I were talking, probably still arguing at the time. And unbeknownst to us, our dog leaps into this horse trough and just fully immerses himself in this water. And is just so happy. You know, and I thought about that, and I thought about, you know, when, when I think about my journey with God, I've, also, I've, I've usually been just kind of putting a toe in, just maybe lapping up a little bit of water at a time. I, I want to do something different. I want to fully immerse myself. I want to go all in. I want to jump into that healing water, and I want to just say, God, cover me. God, renew me, refresh me in ways that I could never imagine. God has so much more for us than we even dream. And I hope today that you don't just step in, you don't just lap up a little bit of God's healing, of God's transformation, that you take it all in, that you jump in. We want to invite you to stand, and as we do, we want to invite our prayer leaders to come forward, and we want to invite some of you to respond. If you're here today and you say, I am ready to step into God's healing, we invite you to come forward and receive prayer. You don't have to do that journey alone. Or maybe you're here today and you say, I'm ready to step into becoming a healer. We invite you to come forward and and be prayed over to ask the Holy Spirit to anoint and empower you on that journey. And we want to ask each and every one of you to think about what it would look like for you to be all in with God. What does that next step or maybe that next leap look like for you? Let's worship.